it's the holiday special, and I'm going to be bringing over a little tradition that happened on Cameras or Whatever, the other podcast that I do with Cameron Whitman, who is here today. Hi, Cameron. Hi. Thanks for having me. So if anybody doesn't remember Cameron, either from the other podcast, from when he's on this one before, he's the director of artist relations for photographers over at Stocks United, where uh, we work together doing photography for quite a while. And I've got a new friend, Matt Gonzalez, who is a YouTuber and video director at Techno Buffalo. Hey, Matt, this is our, uh, our first time hanging out, but I'm really glad to have you here. No, thanks so much for having me. Hi, Matt. And the tradition we're bringing over from cameras or whatever is gear of the year, which is, I don't know, it's fun. I like it's it's fun to look back on what was best, what was most important. And I was saying that the the rules for making our selections today, one thing is I don't actually think it had to come out this year, because um, especially when it comes to cameras, sometimes the the best or most significant cameras might last for a few years. Like I don't think it's important for the best thing to have happened this year or same with computers, you know, it might just be an update to something that happened before or, or whatever. So the rules are very loose. We're not that none of these choices actually matter in the end, but I want to hear what you guys think. Uh, you know, maybe we can vote on things and then I'll just veto you anyway <laughs> but we'll see no i i, I don't know it's, it's your most, show <laughs> it's mostly about the conversation i just want a, an excuse to chat about things that i liked and enjoyed playing with this year it's always fun and then uh, hopefully we'll be joined by a, a special guest later in the show a uh he's he's an old friend of the whatever <laughs> exactly let's start with computers I think people in the Apple world had a pretty good year for computers. Matt, what do you think mm-hmm. the best computer of 2018 was? What is your pick? Uh, if people watch my content, it, they probably think I was going to choose a Mac because that's what I use on a daily basis. And I loved the MacBook Air. I thought it was actually quite good. I only had one issue with it, which was the screen. But it is, it's not that. It's actually the Microsoft Surface Surface Laptop 2. Whoa, out of left yeah. field. I yeah. don't think you're going to say that. <laughs> yeah, so that I didn't think I would say it either. But when I, I picked it up and I got the black one, of course, because it looks cool. Um, but I started using it and I was like, this this is actually really good. This is what a Windows laptop should be. It has a great trackpad. It has a great keyboard. It, it has a great screen. It's has a nice uh, resolution on the screen, the touchscreen, all that. Like everything came together to make it a really great device to use. I only had one real issue with it, and it's that it has a mini display port instead of a USB-C Thunderbolt 3 port, which I I, I still just don't understand. But but even that, even, even with that, I still love that computer. So when you say it has a nice trackpad, does it have a nice trackpad next to a Mac? <laughs> Uh, it has a nice trackpad compared to pretty much every other Windows computer. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. I, it's, it's still is it's still not as good. It's still not as good. <laughs> it's funny. I didn't realize that was a thing until um, I guess how long was it? Uh, about two years ago, I spent a little time thinking like oh, I'm not really happy with where the Mac Pro is right now. Maybe I'll consider switching. And I went around and just kind of played with some Windows laptops, and that was the thing that really struck me was wow, these trackpads are all kind of crap. Like I, I didn't even know that was uh, how much I should appreciate my Apple trackpad yeah. until I tried the other ones. Yeah, some of them are like almost unusable. I, I really don't understand how the manufacturers are okay with that. Luckily, Microsoft like has kind of taken that step and made them actually pretty decent. They're totally usable. It's fine. It's not quite as good, but yeah, it's a big deal. So what does it have that the competing Apple options doesn't have like how how could it be a better choice i think the form and function it's like it's almost the size of a macbook air but it's significantly more powerful 
Um, they have more RAM options. They have better processor options. I believe the one I have is the i7. Um, anyway, I, I max it out. It has more storage options. Like it's just you can max it out more than you can a MacBook Air, which I think is a similar kind of tier, it, just because of the form factor. It's so thin. It. It. I mean, I, I think that's the biggest thing. I bet it's cheaper too. It can be cheaper. Uh, I believe it starts at $800. You probably don't want that one. Uh, but, I mean, you can get it cheaper, which is nice, I guess. Honestly, when I'm looking at computers these days, the biggest thing is just the software, the OS. And for me, I still need Mac OS. I use Final Cut Pro to edit video. But as, like, a secondary computer, which, you know, secondary computer, we don't really need those, but... I like to think I need one. Or if you're like going to school or you just want something that's going to last you a long time. If you don't need Mac OS, I would look here first. All right. Well, I need Mac OS. But, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Cameron, tell me about you. What do you, what do you use these days? You have Mac and PC a lot of the time, don't you? Like they exist in your world? Not anymore. It's just all Mac now and nothing particularly new. Uh, the last time I upgraded was in 2016. So this conversation is actually timely because I'm sure that it's coming around the corner for me and I'm listening very carefully. Uh, a lot of the people that I work with have actually surprisingly been trying to convince me of going back to Windows, which I think is wow. it's just a weird idea. But it's kind of interesting that there are people that are in, within the photography sphere that are, or I guess, just the all creative sphere in general that are actually talking about that. When I'd been thinking about it, um, which I, I got to say, I wasn't that serious. I, I just wanted to look at Windows machines because, I, I, you know, I miss it. I kind of I miss the the hardware. I like the idea of making a bunch of hardware choices. But once I s- really looked at the idea of using Windows, that killed <laughs> the idea for me pretty quick. <laughs> and it was before I had the feeling that Apple was going to be doubling down on professionals. There was a feeling of of them kind of abandoning. Uh, especially creative professionals that usually need a lot of GPU power. And they, you, you use your machine pretty heavily if you're editing photos or videos. And that was th- that abandonment is what was making me kind of look around. But I felt a lot more comfortable with not having to look at Windows once. I could see that Apple is just really serious about their pro selection of computers in the iMac Pro. The new MacBook Pros, I think, started getting a lot better and uh, also announcing that they're going to be doing a new Mac Pro hopefully next year. But what, wait, what are you using? We have a 2016, what, iMac? Yeah, I'm, iMac Pro. Yeah. Is I, it a Pro? I don't even remember. No, it's I don't not. even think it was a Pro yet, yeah. I think I'm, well, I mean, what am I on right now? I'm still using a, I'm just launching it. This is a 2013 27-inch iMac. Oh, wow. Uh, Pre-Retina, or pre, no, wait, pre-5K. Yeah, that's the one I have, too. Uh, 3.5 i7. Yeah, mine's a 5K. Yeah. So yeah, I'm on the I'm on the oldest machine of all right now. But this is my like office machine. Um, usually, I use it for podcast recording. But most of my video editing and most things happen on my my laptop, which I bought a new uh, MacBook Pro this year. And I've I've mostly been really happy with it. I still hate the USB C only. I just, I still don't think it was the right option or right decision from Apple. I really don't think taking away SD cards was, and I know it's old news by now, like it's kind of boring to be complaining about that now, but there are just still so many. They par- took away the SD port? Yeah. And oh. I mean, my, <laughs> that's the biggest one. That's well, the, biggest the, one. the way that my workflow happens to be when we're traveling is that like 
my wife's computer is the older one and does still have SD, and that's where we're importing to. So yeah. somehow it hasn't quite hit me as hard as it could because often I can still plug the card straight in. But I mean, it really, it really sucks. I mean, a lot. It's it's such a convenience. Why would you want to have to carry around another device? Yeah. No, or I would buy one for that matter. I am still holding on to the idea that they might go back someday, but that is very unrealistic. That's I know very that. yeah, that's not Apple's way. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's not going to. But also like with USB-C, although it is frustrating a lot of the time, you can basically convert over to the like just having a USB-C everything. But the one thing you can't do is have not use an SD card. Those aren't going away anytime soon, I don't think. And yeah, it's very, very annoying. I don't think they're going to go back either, but man, I I really hope they do. Well, their excuse, like what they said was that, oh, you can do Wi-Fi transfer. Like who does that? I mean, (laughs) if you're, if you're an amateur, like if you're a non-professional, it's pretty confusing. Like it is, it isn't a seamless experience at all. It's not convenient, but if you are a professional, you couldn't possibly do that anyway because you have way too much volume so yeah I, I mean what has helped it a little bit is that more and more cameras uh so including the sony that i shoot with has USB-C built into it so at least i could just use this this has rescued me actually is uh i forgot my adapter once and i could plug the camera straight in uh with the power cable from the computer so like that's the promise of USB-C. that's when it's kind of living yeah. up to what it could do but man, it's it's bit me more times than it saved me. So <laughs> for sure, still not happy with that. So I mean, I'm going to make my pick. Well, okay, I wanted to say an iPad Pro, just to first of all to throw the word computer <laughs> out the window a little bit, and and also just a tip of the hat to the best update that iPads have had in years. Like these machines are crazy fast. Uh, the the amount of speed increases has been really exciting like it's the only place in computing that you're seeing things move that quickly the visual like the display hardware is beautiful i love the 120 hertz refresh rates um i've said before that i like it more than oled like i prefer the screen on the ipad to the iphone 10s screen and the thinness of it is just completely insane and in this case i like the USB-C. it has more practical uses than having it be the only option on a laptop. Like it means that that dongle that I'm carrying around all the time for my MacBook Pro, I can reuse it. And all of a sudden now I have an SD card reader for my iPad Pro, which I never would have had for my previous iPad. Like I wasn't going to buy the Lightning SD reader. So there's all these hardware reasons that the iPad Pro is, I think the most interesting piece of computer hardware we have this year, but I can't pick it because... (laughs) I can't get my work done on an iPad Pro. That doesn't mean that people can't get work done. I know like it's there's a lot of types of work out there. But for me, I, I still need a more full-featured operating system. Um, so I'm going to give it to a computer that I don't own. I just know that it's really good, but it doesn't make sense for me to own, and that's the iMac Pro. It's incredibly expensive, which mm. I, I like. like. I want to see Apple have that high end for professionals available. This is all part of Apple doubling down on what pros can do. And yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm so happy to see Apple back where they are. And you know what, if they can do the same thing with the Mac pro next year, if they can meet expectations in the same way, then the Mac pros can be next year's best computer. Like I, I just, it's so exciting to see 
Apple re-embrace the world of professionals. I really want to share your enthusiasm. I'm scared about that price though. Oh yeah. No, I mean, this is the, this is the problem with Apple in general is it's, yeah, I mean, it's getting crazy expensive. I was saying on the last episode that when I, I rebought my MacBook Pro this year, I was looking at the receipts from last time I bought it twice as expensive, twice almost as much, yeah. fully twice yeah. as much. That's crazy. You know, the, one of the things that has been a major disappointment with my most recent iMac, um, and this is actually something that carried over to uh, a second one that we have in the house that my wife uses, is that there's really crazy screen burn on these retina screens. I hadn't heard that. That's awful. Yeah, and it's the same on both of our machines and and it's actually a little bit worse on hers which is newer is this not a thing you ever took to the apple store you haven't had them uh you just kind of sucked it up and dealt with it i'm way too busy to to deal with that things i like when i buy things they have to work you know yeah i can't even i have to plan ahead to even take it like to go to the see the doctor or something which isn't also not very convenient. i thought you were gonna say go to the bathroom <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe you're not quite that busy no no <laughs> I will exaggerate a little, but yeah, I mean, as far as like taking a day to go to the Apple store, no, not going to happen. And it's not going to be a day either. They're going to tell you that you have to send it in. It's going to be another week. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I just don't have time for the runaround, you know? Well, sounds like you need a new computer. (laughs) Yes. iPad Pro. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, I feel kind of like a poser even mentioning it, but uh, because I have not actually used one extensively, but I did get to to play with an iPad Pro a couple times. And that was probably the first computer hardware device that I've met that I've messed with outside of my, you know, what I own in a very long time that made me want to buy something. Yeah. And thankfully I got over it. The funny thing <laughs> is they didn't actually change in some ways they didn't change that much. Like what ended up being my experience. And so also I didn't buy an iPad pro. I was lent one from Apple. So I just had like a review unit for a few weeks. But what I found was that I, like, I was really excited about it when I started playing with it and, and using it. And um, it just clearly is such a great computer. I mean, I, I'm going to keep saying that over and over, but then I found myself going into the same habits of not really having anything to do or when I was like trying to do something with it, I'm like, okay, I'll try to edit some photos on here. It was still slower enough that I was like, okay, this, this does, this doesn't make sense. Like I should be using my computer so that I can move more quickly. So I, I kind of would have had to do more work to enjoy that hardware. Um, and this is something that even people that are using it for their work. So uh, Mike Hurley, when he was on the show was talking about that, this, this is what he uses for most of his work at this point but he still has to go out of his way for all sorts of things because the software isn't quite there. I mean, we're kind of waiting for a bit of a merger between iOS and macOS that we all see eventually coming with things like Marzipan and uh, the move to ARM processors on uh, Mac computers. So we'll see. It should get better, but unfortunately, I feel like the software just hasn't caught up with hardware yet. And what about the pencil? Oh, man, don't get me started. The pencil is so beautiful. But again, it's like, I'm not really good with the pencil. Like physically, like my my dexterity in my hand is not... Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not good. At, my handwriting's ugly. I'm not a great artist. And so in the end, I didn't find many things that were faster to use the pencil for. 
Um, so well, I still use my Wacom tablet. So oh, okay, I yeah, guess, that, you know, that's like, totally personal, right? It's like if you work yeah. well with it, then you will absolutely love it. So yeah, it's also interesting the iPad Pro with the pencil. Uh, for a lot of apps like Luma Fusion, which is a video editing app, which is pretty solid. Totally. For, yeah, an yeah. I, for an iOS app. It's interesting how the pencil can kind of become your mouse. It becomes your pointing device that's right. very yeah. precise and accurate. And after using it for a little bit, it kind of turned into that, honestly. Like, I don't write. I don't really draw that much. And it just turned into a mouse, basically, which I thought was interesting. That's, that's a good point, because that's actually what happened um, with my Wacom tablet for a long time is that, you know, I, I was so, I had a really bad uh, magic mouse for, for uh, too long, probably um, <laughs> is when I was poor <laughs> and couldn't afford to, to upgrade it. And, and, you know, but I had that Wacom tablet and I, I used that, that pen to do, to do everything. Like I surfed the net, I did literally everything with that pen because it had all the controls that I needed, but it wasn't, it wasn't very good. Well, speaking of controls, I gotta, I do want to dock at a point for the tap to change tools uh, option, which they, they implemented it well. And it seems like it should be a really elegant solution because there's no external visible controls on it. So the pencil looks beautiful and it feels nice. But I find personally, I find that gesture pretty difficult to do a double tap. I do too. Just the way that my muscles need to, to work, I have to, you have to squeeze a little harder with the fingers that are holding it, and it just takes some effort. It's it's just not intuitive compared to something like uh, maybe a stronger squeeze or even a single tap or a button I would have found much easier to use. I don't find the double tap really easy to use. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. Having to adjust your grip just to tap, it mm-hmm. seems like a very minor thing, but it's just something you have to think about when you do it and yeah. it takes you, takes you out of the flow of whatever you're doing. Well, and I guess it depends how many times a day you have to do that. Yeah. No, it totally depends what you're doing. I even imagine that flipping the pencil around and like using the back as a second tool would have been more intuitive to me, just like an eraser on a, on a pencil. You can do that with the Wacom. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. You can do that with the Wacom and the surface uh, pen. You can do that there too. It's mm. very yeah, nice. That's another good one. It's yeah. just very intuitive. You're used to it with a normal pencil and here, mm-hmm just makes sense to do that but yeah and i mean you got two ends why not use them yeah exactly oh, and there's something satisfying about that flipping motion yeah definitely i, I think the <laughs> ipad pro will become important in my life at some point but uh yeah it's it's ios it just needs to keep moving forward which it will so all right let's as do we <laughs> let's move to another category I, next thing i got here is best app which is like mobile app something on your phone maybe not i don't know on your computer what's a computer <laughs> uh yeah this is pretty wide open uh cameron you want to start this one probably best to start with with me because this is definitely where i'm the most boring <laughs> you're gonna say safari aren't you <laughs> <laughs> no um, uh, my favorite app on the desktop is, is Grammarly. <laughs> oh, is, Hey, I like that. Yeah. yeah it's so nerdy, but it, it is, it has made my life so much better. Cause like, it's just something that, um, that I've always been super self-conscious about is having good grammar. And, you know, I also feel that with my job, it's important that I sound like I know what I'm talking about, or at least sound smart. Does it work for podcast recordings? Like, can it just kind <laughs> of live? Definitely not. Yeah, I mean, but even there, it's not always exactly right. You know, there's certain things that you're like, oh, I don't know about that. Like that doesn't, it makes suggestions once in a while that are not correct. But for the phone, I primarily, my phone is my boredom machine. 
you know, it's like, how do I deal with the boredom I'm feeling right now? Or like, <laughs> I'm sitting with the kids and I've got some time to spend and I need something to occupy my brain that's not like whatever bad show that they're watching. Uh, and so that is uh, Wordscapes is my new favorite game. It's stupid addicting and probably stupid, honestly, <laughs> but it has a lot of ads, which drives me nuts. But like, if I can sit through ads and, and keep playing a game that, or yeah, I mean, that says something good about it, I think. I was about to just like download, I'm like, oh yeah, I'll follow his recommendation. But once he said full of ads, it's not, it's not going to happen. <laughs> the ads are brutal. It's probably the worst ad experience I've ever had. I can't handle it. Are they the ads where after every round, you have to sit through a video ad and you can't do anything for like a good 10 seconds. It's not every round, but it's almost every round. Congratulations. You won an ad. (laughs) Okay, Matt, what's your favorite app? Okay. So I I kind of have two and I only chose two because the first one, almost nobody can use. So that one is called booster fuel. So at the Techno Buffalo offices, the company that we lease from, actually hired the company called Booster. And what they do is they come around and fill your car up with gas while you're at work. So you never have to go to a gas station. And it is, I don't want to say life-changing, but it it, it is excellent. I love it. I haven't gone to a gas station in, in months. And what's great about it is it actually doesn't cost any more since it's not a service that the public can use or... Well, I mean, anyone can hire this company to do it, but you have to actually go through that process. But Wait, what city are you in, by the way, just to explain where uh, this is available? So we're in Southern California. This is in Irvine. All right. This makes more sense now. <laughs> but it, yeah, the second one is Lightroom CC. The main reason I'm choosing this is because I have fully moved over to doing, well, I just said fully. So I've moved over <laughs> to doing my photo editing on the iPad Pro, the new one. Uh, and I absolutely love Lightroom CC. I don't do quite as many photos as you do, but I mean, I shoot probably... I don't know, probably a hundred at a time. And for, for that, it works perfectly fine. And I'm able to really get in there and edit well. And I love that app. Yeah. And that's why I can't say anything bad about an iPad uh, for even for photography use or whatever it is you want to do with it, because your use case is probably different from everyone else that you talk to. So I think if, yeah, if I shot a lot less volume, I could more realistically put the iPad Pro and Lightroom CC to use. Yeah. For me, it ends up being, yeah, the volume doesn't really work for a online solution. Exactly, yeah. But so I'm going to make my pick Spark Camera because it's it's not new at all. This is an old app. It's just been significant for me this year. Uh, I've talked about it a lot. I did a video about how to do Instagram stories with it. And it's just a way to shoot and edit video at the same time. So basically you press and hold and it starts recording. Then you let go and it stops and you just keep doing that to assemble a series of clips. And I like to use those for Instagram stories, but I also just like that it means with almost zero effort, you can have something much more watchable. Uh, You know, it's, it's, you can shoot for the edit and when you're done shooting, the whole video is basically done. Obviously I like to tighten it up a little bit, make some further edits later, but you don't really have to. Um, so yeah, Spark Camera. It's great. Cool. Yeah, that's a great app. This episode is brought to you by Chronaby, makers of premium connected watches that I love and am wearing right now. And just a reminder of how sponsorships work here. I can be paid to talk about a product and bring your attention to it. And I'm only going to talk about products I like, but I'm not going to tell you I love a product that I don't. And I do wear my Chronaby watches a lot of the time. 
and really appreciate them. They are beautifully designed and don't look like a smartwatch. They're not a computer on your wrist. They have intricate little precise metal hands, just like you'd expect on a real watch because they are a real watch, but they're also able to deliver additional smart features like notifications, step counting, music control, camera control. It ties into if this, then that. So there's basically infinite things that this simple, elegant little watch can do. And they do come in multiple sizes. So this can be an issue with other smart watches that always look big and bulky because they need to fit a giant battery in there and a screen and a whole computer. And the components inside of a Chronobie watch are a lot simpler. So they have a variety of sizes, 38 millimeter, 40 millimeter, and 41 millimeter, so that any size of wrist can find a watch that fits it, including women, which honestly, I think is a big missing part of the segment for traditional smartwatches or traditional, I mean, computer smartwatches. But these look and feel like traditional real watches. And so just like jewelry, you can match them to your outfit or match them to your body type or whatever you need. Personally, I find the 40 millimeter is the perfect balance for me. But if you go to their website, chronoby.com, K-R-O-N-B-Y, you can check out all of their designs and I'm sure you're going to find one that is just right for you. So thanks again to Chronoby for supporting the show. All right. And we've secretly been joined in the background by a holiday guest, Jordan Drake is here once again. Hi, Jordan. Hey, the the most festive guest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> insert insert applause. Exactly. And if anybody doesn't remember Jordan from his previous appearances, he is well previously from the Camera Store TV and now is at DP Review TV. And he is often the man behind the video camera, but more and more uh, in front of the camera too. So you're just in time because I think we should talk about cameras now. Oh, I'm so down. Let's do this. Okay, so first, I'm going to ask you, what's your favorite stills camera? What is the best, since this is a very official uh, gear of the year situation, what's the best stills camera of 2018? I, I really have to go, I mean, the consensus seems to be one of two cameras, and you've got one and I've got one, and uh, I'm going to go with the Fuji X-T3 is the most fun I've had using a camera in a very, very long time. Oh, consensus. That's a bold word. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Okay. Yeah, uh, well, we're hearing it's either that or what I think might be your camera of the year. We'll see. It's, yeah, a camera that was so much fun to use, not just for getting work done, because I shot a few episodes of the show on it and loved the results. Like, if you don't want to spend the time to do grading and things like that. I think their uh, their Eternal profile is the best color straight out of camera. The autofocus is quite good. And the, in terms of the stills, I found myself just always using it for family shooting, casual shooting, stuff like that. And it was a wonderful camera for that. Uh, so much so that we are now a two-system house because I have my GH that I use to shoot the show primarily. And now my wife and I have an X-T3 that's kind of our our casual shooting photo camera. Yeah, it takes a lot to add a second brand of cameras to your life. Like, that's a huge commitment, so... Well, especially because uh, it's pretty easy. Most of my gear was Canon glass, so it was pretty easy for me to jump between Canon, uh, Sony, and Micro Four Thirds. But there's really not much Canon support in the Fuji line. The Fringer adapter is pretty flaky. So yeah, it's investing in native glass again. But the Fuji lenses are spectacular, so I don't mind. Yeah, I actually am always jealous of the Fuji lenses, especially when, when I'm using uh, Sony stuff, I, there's a few Sony lenses that are kind of compact and feel similar to the Fujis, but most of them are giant and like bigger than the Canons, which I don't understand at all. But I love that Fuji approach. They've really made such a nice lineup. I, I, I love all those lenses. Have any of you guys had a chance to shoot with the X-T3 yet? No. I have, actually, and that was going to be my pick. So oh, there yes, we go. There we go. <laughs> 
It is a consensus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I haven't, uh, I haven't spent a ton of time with it. I don't have one, but, um, I shot for probably like half an hour with one, messed around with it. It was with the 23F2 Prime. Yeah, beautiful lens. And what I loved about it was just the compact size of it. I just felt like I could actually take it with me and not feel like I was carrying a huge camera. <laughs> and that alone made me like excited. I, I have a feeling I'm going to be picking one up. Yeah, and I mean, I'm in the case of that I primarily am already using two different brands. So the idea of really digging into a third, like... I mean, people ask me, actually, I should just address this to anybody that is thinking about writing me, asking what to buy as a beginner camera. I don't know, because I only use the cameras that I use. <laughs> um, so it's something that people ask me a lot. And it you know it makes sense because I talk about cameras, but I don't always have the time to use a wide variety of them at once. Um, so I, I want to get more into that next year. I am hoping to do a video specifically on the topic. But uh, yeah, so with Fuji, I mean, uh, that that isn't the one that I have. The one that I that I bought last year was the, you're going to have to tell me with the name because I forget the X100 F. Oh yeah. Uh, X100 F. That's right. That's the one that I got, which is the fixed lens, the 35, because I don't have to buy any more lenses for Not it. Not a bad way to go. And so that's kind of been a just for fun camera. Yeah. I got, I actually got it for Anya. So my wife's the main one using it. I haven't used it as much, but I like it. It's both beautiful and very functional and the colors are nice and easy to that use. That line has always been amazing. Yeah. Well, Oh. Always is, I don't know, because I <laughs> I used the older, the version one of, uh, wait, can you tell me what this is called, Jordan? The Yeah, e- I got you, XE1. XE1. See, I always get the letters confused. Um, that's the one that I had. And it was, I thought it was amazing when I first had it. But once I started, the more I tried to use it, I'd like bring it to a shoot and it would be too slow to focus, too slow to write photos. And I would just realize like, wait, this is holding me back. Like I'm not able to do what I want. So I got uh, rid of it. Well, I was only talking about the X100 line. But I think it, I mean, <laughs> didn't it kind of have the same issues? Yeah, it was really with the uh, 100T and forward that it, the line got really smoothed out, not nearly as flaky. So the T and the F are great cameras, but the earlier ones, yeah, still had that kind of early Fuji bugginess, um, lagginess kind of vibe to them. I do, I do recall that. Yeah. Yeah. The photos have always been beautiful, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, I used to be able to take it into a dark club and shoot a band with it. And get really close, and and th- those are some of the best photos that I ever took in a in that environment. Do you have the? Did you have the first one then? I had the S, second one. Okay, yeah. cool. And but it was you, really slow and laggy for sure. But you like Fuji Color still? I mean, you you look at a lot of photos every day as part of your job, Cameron. So what do you think of mm-hmm. Fuji images? Uh, as long as they're handled right, then they're they're fantastic. Yeah, just don't run them through Lightroom. Yeah, that's <laughs> oh, that's a big uh, that's a big don't right. So, I mean, I, I run into that problem a lot, but it's just with the sharpening, right? Yeah. But you, the sharpening, I guess, is automatic. So you have to be mindful of what you're doing. Well, yeah. So I don't know the specific issue. Like, what's the advice to give everybody if they are using Fuji and Lightroom? Turn sharpening off. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And even rain it back a little because it does drop a little bit in there automatically. But also the... Uh, raw files don't apply the film presets, which I think is one of the best things Fuji has going for them. But now if you run those through Capture One, which I've been using for my photo editing, it supports all of their film simulations. So you can bring in a raw file that's you know not too contrasty, not over-sharpened, but also has the look of whatever film profile you've chosen. And it looks wonderful. It makes everything super easy in the back end. Cool. Well, all the Lightroom fans are going to be writing in to tell you that that <laughs> is supported in the new Lightroom but I don't think it does a great uh. job. So it, it'll have emulation for whatever camera that you put into it. 
to try to do its original profiles, but I've never, I've never found them useful. No. I don't use them at all. Never had success with it. Yeah. Cameron, what about you? <sighs> this is hard. <laughs> so the, the camera I'm, I was most excited about, and I think this is probably too obvious is the Nikon Z7. Um, I was just really happy to see Nikon put such a strong effort into the pro mirrorless options. Something that I would be able to adapt to easily because I have a ton of Nikon class that uh, would be hard for me to, to part with. And, uh, you know, I, I did get a chance to, to play with it a couple times. I do not own it. But from what I've seen, it seemed like a really nice piece of kit. So, yeah, that was the thing that was most exciting to me. Well, Jordan, you're the only one that's going to have had any experience. So can you comment on, on if, I'm nervous if right is now. Cameron right or not? <laughs> Um, I'm actually kind of surprised for Cameron because, um, you know, th that's the high resolution model, the Z7. I actually preferred the Z6, um, which is the less expensive one, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's a lower resolution camera. It's 24 as opposed to the 45 megapixels, but the buffer clears out way faster. It seems a little more responsive to grab onto your subject as well. Mm. Um, and the video, well, for me, importantly, the video quality was better. Um, but that would certainly be, I would say, the strongest thing Nikon put out. And I think it's kind of a shame that they brought out the Z7 first, uh, because you'd run into that buffer all the time. And it left me with kind of a bad taste in my mouth where I enjoyed shooting with the Z6 quite a bit. Uh, and especially the electronic shutter on that is kind of a nice option to get in that smaller body with Nikon glass now, finally. Well, maybe I'll start with the 6. Who knows? Build your way up from there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I I hate to be an early adapter. Adapter? Adopter, sorry. <laughs> Is that your accent? No, it's the cold mints. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I don't usually jump into something when it's the first you know iteration. I usually wait it out. I'm pretty patient. I figured that by the time I actually save up the money, that it'll probably be something new anyway. But I, I really like where they're going with it. Just as a starting point, it seems like a, they, they came out of the gate strong, uh, which I don't think that they have the best track record with. So I think it was pretty cool to see them come out with something that was hopeful. Yeah, you could really tell that this had been in development for a long time. Uh, mm -hmm. That was actually the case with both Canon and Nikon this year. They just kind of went two different directions. The Nikon seems like all the work went into the bodies and Canon it all went into the lenses. But yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I seem to remember you really loved the D750, right? I did when it, when I first got it. I, it was exciting to me coming from the D800 and the DF. It was just a it was a nice new camera. But I've I've actually grown pretty frustrated with it over time. Like focus and and stuff like that is is really frustrating. Like in the studio, it's it's just so horrible. Definitely test those Zs out um, in the ways you're going to use them, because in good light, I loved the single point AF, but we had some issues in low light. Cool. Well, I think you guys aren't dreaming big enough. <laughs> I'm going to go with a camera that um, I don't own. I did a review of it. I had it for a little while, and that's the Sony A9. Mm. Ah. And it's just a beast. Like uh, It's expensive. I think it's a little overpriced, but it really changed what I thought I even could expect from a stills camera. So they just, some of the standout insane features are it's a burst mode, which it'll take super fast photos without any blackout. So you almost can't tell that it's shooting except for the interface is 
slightly flickering while you shoot, but it never goes black. So you always see what you're taking photos of and it's shooting at, again, Jordan, you're going to have to correct me. I think it's like 20 frames per second. Yeah, 20 frames per second but with autofocus, how, which is crazy. That is actually huh? crazy. Like it's basically just a video camera. Four more frames and you're shooting video and completely silent shutter all the time, right? And there's no rolling shutter while it's silent. It's It just feels like this shouldn't be possible. And I actually haven't talked to anybody that bought this camera. So what it seems <laughs> like is they spent, yeah, they kind of overpriced it a bit. I think there isn't a huge demand for this anyway, but they wanted to prove, look, we can be a serious, you know, sports camera, journalist camera. Uh, we can make something that's going to qualify for a true professional title. And along with it, they added the little joystick on the back, which is also on the a7 III. I mean, I, I think that's probably what you expect me to say is the a7 III, which, yeah, I mean, it would make sense. Like, that would be a totally reasonable pick, too, because the the price makes much more sense. It's just such a balanced camera. It is what way more people should buy. Um, but I, th- maybe it's because I own that one. The flaws are so much more apparent to me and I have more to complain about. And who knows, maybe I'd have those same complaints with the A9, but they just put the extra horsepower in there. They made it able to deal with a lot more. And it's, it's just such an amazing camera. I think it's really kind of a window into where things are going. Yeah. Um, in the next little bit, like it, it does feel like this is the next generation sensor. I really think, and everything I've seen kind of backs this up. That's the Venice sensor from their top of the line movie camera. So oh, okay. uh, I think that was kind of, hey, we've put all this R and D into this amazing sensor. Let's see what happens if we throw it at photography as well. I think it's just an expensive sensor and that's what worked it out. But, you know, that means in the future we're looking at almost global shutter performance on a conventional chip, which is amazing. Yeah. Uh, And I love shooting silent with no blackout, but it's really the only camera with a big chip out there where I'm not worried about weirdness with the rolling shutter and flickering lights and things like that. So having that peace of mind is amazing. It's interesting that it would be a video sensor, but also is not a great video i mean that they uh, took away some of those video features like picture profiles considering i don't know that's weird well you don't want to get a venice for six thousand dollars right (laughs) right right, right. (laughs) pay the 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 30 grand for a venice well that's not usually sony's way they don't uh yeah okay i get it i get it okay let's keep moving let's go to video cameras Uh, i'm gonna go first this time and no surprises here i'm gonna say the uh, sony a7 III which, uh, you know, it's funny, it kind of could have taken both for me. And I have so many complaints about it. This camera still drives me crazy because Sony doesn't know how to design cameras. Um, like, there's a lot of issues with it. So I'm going to start with some of my complaints, especially regarding stills. Um, big complaints are that when you're trying to review photos, it's not fast enough. Uh, so if I zoom in to 100%, it takes a moment and then I can't flip through photos at 100%, which I can on a Canon. This is this is an actual problem all the time. Like, I'm just trying to check focus. Like, okay, did the last burst get some photos in focus? Did I need to reshoot it? And there isn't a quick way to do that. Uh, then also when I'm changing the basic settings, exposure settings, I turn the dial to try to change my f-stop. And I have to wait a second to see if that happened. Uh, so that happens with both photo and video can't remember what the video issues are with it. Anyway, the good stuff, the reason it is my best video camera choice is that it has like just all the great features that you were kind of hoping for from that have moved over from the A7S2, including 120 frames per second. But it also has 
amazing autofocus. It's full frame. It has similar ISO performance to the A7S II, as, as far as I can tell. I, th- I think you can back me up on that, Jordan. Yeah, absolutely. Until you get to insane, you know, past 50,000 ISO. But right up till then, it's a sharper, cleaner image. Yeah. And th- there's just not a lot of major downsides when it comes to video. It's just, it's very, very good. Um, I wish that the adapted glass had worked out as well as I was promised. Um, I still don't trust the autofocus on it. But um, yeah, no, it's a really great camera. I've been using it all year. Matt, what's your favorite video camera this year? So for video, I have been shooting on the A6300 for a few years now, but I finally picked up a, a new camera, and that's the Blackmagic uh, Pocket Cinema Camera 4K. Ooh. Which what I, what I love about this, I've only had it for like two weeks. I haven't even released anything shot with it yet, but as I've been using it, getting used to it, it's just such an inspiring camera because it's a cinema camera, but it's only $1,300, which, which I mean, it's crazy for what you're getting. You're getting raw recording, 4K60 raw, 13 stops of, you know, dynamic range. I think it does 12-bit. It's just excellent quality, especially in the tests that I've done. It just looks amazing, but it's at that $1,300 price. And that was something... I didn't think I was going to get into anytime soon. I've been shooting on, like I said, the A6300, which is a relatively entry-level camera. I didn't think I was going to make the jump into a cinema-style camera anytime soon just because of that price. It just didn't seem worth it for the work that I was doing. But as soon as I saw this, I ordered one. It took a good, like, what felt like six months to get here, but it finally, <laughs> finally did. And I've been loving it, and I can't wait to create even more on it. And yeah, that's definitely my pick, I think. Yeah, even with the previous uh, pocket camera, you you can't always spot, or usually, you'll think it's a more expensive camera. When you see footage on it, you're like, oh yeah, this is like this is something professional. And I, th- mm-hmm. I think it's because that dynamic range, the amazing color science, it is always punching above its price tag. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this camera is not perfect at all. The battery life is so, so bad. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, 45 minutes is being generous, hmm. but yeah. luckily you can like plug into AC. It's not that big of a deal. That's I find I found workarounds for that. But I, I mean, I think the benefits outweigh the downsides for sure, at least for me, for my workflow. Yeah, I found it really is you have to kind of babysit it like I liken it to a red because that's a camera that I'm always running off AC power. You've always got your assistant camera there to swap mags for you because you're going to (laughs) be moving through media pretty quick with it. But yeah, the image is lovely on it. I'm still waiting for my review copy. I've been, I've had some (laughs) local shooters here nice enough to let me take it out, shoot. So I've got a bit of an impression on it. But uh, yeah, that has been one I'm really looking forward to getting my hands on for a long form thing. And on the channel, we do these wooden nickels shorts where we try to recreate a movie scene. And we're just trying to put something together when we do finally get our review copy of that camera, do some actual filmmaking with it, which I think is going to be a lot of fun. Cameron, do you have a vote here or should we just keep moving? Keep moving. <laughs> so my favorite uh, video camera for this year would be the um, the same sensor, uh, but uh, it was actually the Panasonic GH5S, which has that really beautiful image from the pocket camera, but it doesn't have those weird issues with the battery life. You get really nice life on that. And the biggest thing for me is it has an EVF, which I've really come to rely on. The pocket camera screen looks beautiful, but I just find, you know, I'm not dragging an external monitor all the time around and I really want to shoot in 
direct sunlight. And the viewfinder on that GH5S is really beautiful. So uh, it's been, I when we first grabbed it, I thought I'd use it for maybe like 20% of my stuff, just when we were locked off in low light on a tripod because there's no stabilizer on it. But in the last year, I'd say I've probably been using it about 50-50 uh, to shoot the show and on most of my commercial gigs. Well, and I think between the, like that kind of represents what people should be choosing from. Like these these ones that we mentioned, unless you're going for something more cine, um, you know, this gives you the a7 III is a great full frame option. The a6300, I mean, it's st- or wait, 6500 is current, right? That's a current uh, one, yes. Yeah, that like that's a fantastic choice for a crop sensor, and especially if you think you might someday move to full frame or it's a second camera. And uh, you know, Blackmagic has its look. I think it's more of a specialty thing, but a lot of people, I, I can see reasons to go with it. And then yeah. there's, I mean, there's plenty of reasons to go with your. Panasonic option there, Jordan. I mean, like longer record times is a big one. Image, uh, yeah, image stabilization. Yeah, and that's that's still the one big strength of the GH5 is getting the stabilizer on there. But for pure image quality, uh, the S I'm loving. Actually, we'll do a little test because uh, I shot a movie in the summer, and when you see it, Tyler, um, we shot most of it on a Red Dragon 6K, and some of it on a GH5S. And oh, I'm curious if you're going to see the uh, yeah, mm. see if you can see where that transition is there. Yeah, because I too. think it's pretty pretty damned invisible which is pretty impressive looking at the price difference oh cool yeah that's got, curious yeah. if do you feel like if you had shot the entire thing on the gh5s then at that point you would have noticed a difference not i mean in terms of reframing occasionally that's why we really wanted the resolution on the um the dragon for a few things mm-hmm. and just because it's something that the crew is used to working with where i think it's funny a smaller lighter easier to work with camera would slow people down because they're not as familiar with it but i would be completely happy shooting the entire video on a gh5s that's a conversation we had early on was uh using an evo one and a gh5s to shoot the whole thing Ooh, very cool a lot of the time you're going to spot those differences when you are doing something extreme you know you're not yeah. the high price stuff doesn't really matter until you are pushing it to the edge of its abilities or, or grading the file too hard or shooting in uh, really high dynamic range environments, things like that. Yeah, it's funny. The pretty stuff that we shot uh, that was properly lit, you don't need the red for that at all. The GH5S would have been totally sufficient. Where the red saved us is we made a choice not to light the exteriors in a few scenes to make them really harsh. And in those moments, it's like, oh, thank God we have for offer this because... <laughs> You know, it's when something's ugly. That's when you need raw. That makes perfect sense. Next thing I got here is best tech accessory. This is a this is a pretty wide topic, so I don't I don't know what you guys are going to say, but let's find out. Cameron, do you have one? I do. Um, I finally got the Loop Deck Plus. Oh yeah, yeah, cool. Tell me how you liked it. Uh, well, I'm I'm still new with it, so I'm it's there's a learning curve because it's definitely. Or first, tell us what it is for anybody that doesn't know. I guess. Uh-huh, yeah, it's it's a, uh, a fully manual. I, is that the right way to put it? Manual control for Lightroom, or you can actually use it with uh, quite a lot of different editing programs. But as far as the way like all the controls work in Lightroom, it's definitely very intuitive. Is just even looking at it, you'll recognize what all the buttons and knobs are meant to do. That said, there is still a little bit of getting used to how it works. Um, and the reason that, that I needed it, that or I felt that I needed it, is that um, I still shoot a lot of events. And it's just like when you shoot weddings or events or whatever, you, you might shoot hundreds or thousands of files, right? And sometimes, depending on the client, you might need to turn that stuff around quickly. 
and doing those those large edits overnight using your your keyboard and your mouse it it starts to to really nag at you and you feel like you're you're it's taking too long and you're you're making too many shortcuts and concessions on on the quality because you know you just can't care as much because it has to be done by tomorrow or something um, and so this, th- that's what the, the point of this is, in my opinion, is just to um, be able to, to get through that workflow without sacrificing some of the, the heavier um, editing options that, that you could be doing, but you just don't feel like you have time to do. And this kind of goes back to a, a pre- previous uh, conversation with, uh, on this podcast, just about having to, to what, are the, you know, what do those extra clicks add up to, right? For me, it adds up to a lot. And I get really exhausted just, you know, going back and forth between the mouse and just all, you know, and the different controls and just having this, everything at your fingertips uh, seems like a really beautiful option. Yeah, I spent about a week with it. And my, the main impression I had walking away is that it's great for that high volume, quick adjustment stuff like events where you're going to mostly say hit the exposure and white balance on a lot of photos or do a lot of rating. But what I didn't love it for is the fine tuning thing. Like if you're going to sit there and really dial in a single photo, I found it easier to usually go back to my mouse and keyboard, but that was not having used it for a long time. And maybe that behavior would shift after you really got used to it. Yeah. I think it depends on which of those heavy lifting things that you have to do. If you have to do any painting or, cloning stuff like that i think that's where you're going to run into to issues but the, one of the things that i've already discovered that i really love is is the cropping i think that it works really brilliantly and i'm super excited to use that so my pick is another microsoft product surprisingly enough and that's the surface headphones the main reason i pick these is because not very often do i get a new product that makes me switch from the product i was already using and these actually did. I no longer want to use my Bose QC35. Whoa. <laughs> um, I, I was very surprised with how good these are. And there's a few like main things about them that I, I really like. First of all, the noise cancellation works. It sounds different than the Bose noise cancellation, but I don't think it's any worse. It's just like a different way of going about it. These kind of muffle voices a little more. Whereas on the Bose, you can still hear voices pretty clearly. So that's more of like a personal preference thing. I'm, I'm totally fine with them. Uh, I like the physical controls of being able to adjust the noise cancellation amounts and also have pass-through. So if I want to hear something, I don't have to take them off. I can just easily turn them off, turn the noise cancellation off and still hear what's going on in the room. That's great. But the biggest thing that I really like about them is I've been spoiled with AirPods. When I take them out, it pauses what I'm doing. And I could just not get used to that on any other pair of headphones that I have because they don't do that. But the Surface headphones do. And that just immediately sold me. So for sure, these are probably my favorite thing that I've gotten. But yeah, I've been hearing good things from a few people about them. They sound like they sound like they sound good. (laughs) I mean, they sound okay, but I I have multiple pairs of headphones for different things. So if I I need accuracy, I'm not going to use these. These are more my like everyday. I'm sitting at the desk for a while or I'm going on a trip. They work really well for that. They are a little pricey, like 350 bucks. Are they comfortable? Uh, I think they're comfortable. I think they're actually more comfortable than the QC35s. Their padding feels just a little, little more cushiony. Yeah. That's, you know, that's also another personal preference thing. You really have to try them on to know. Yeah, I've found people say that a headphone's super comfortable and I try it and it's not. Or I mean, another example is AirPods that to me, they're very comfortable, but I know a lot of people can't stand them. So you, Yeah, I can't put those in my... Yeah, I got to try them first. Jordan, 
I'm going to go with the um, Atomos Ninja 5, uh, which is a little external monitor recorder thing, but it's priced the same as a lot of straight-up monitors. Um, so especially with the Nikon Z6, Z7, Canon EOS R coming out, they all require an external recorder to get 10-bit video out of them. They're capable of outputting that. And this came just at the perfect time. It's a great screen. It's a 1,000 nits, so it's actually viewable when you're outside with it. And very, very compact, which has always been my issue with almost all the external recorders out there. And they hit a great price point with it. Like, it's a pretty no-brainer thing. If I were just out looking for a monitor, I would also grab, well, I'd grab this instead because it's similar price. The interface is great. You get tons of assist tools. And if you're shooting with, let's suppose you're a person with an A6300, (laughs) then uh, you'll also get a headphone jack and mic input with an OK preamp on it. So it's a sweet all-rounder. That's cool. I actually didn't look at it at all because I, well, I had known that I wanted a, the small HD focus. And then I, once I saw, uh, actually, yeah, when I was shooting with Jonathan Morrison, he was using the focus and the, sorry, the focus OLED. And it was just so beautiful. I ordered it immediately mm-hmm. and didn't really look around at all. But, um, no, I'm still not going to look at this because I just bought a monitor, so I don't want to know that anything else is good. Um, I'm in I'm in the same book. I bought the Focus like right when this got announced, and I was like, no, nah, I'm sticking to it. Yep. Getting the Focus. Yeah. <laughs> la, la, la. I can't hear you. Can't see you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to do... Uh, okay. I just basically had to have a tech accessory category so that I could fit this in because I need to choose the DJI Mavic 2 for something. It needs to win. Uh, this drone is so awesome. Um, I'd actually gone back to flying my phantom four a few times this year and that reminded me just of how good dji has been for a while now uh so i had that then i had the spark and then i had this and they're they're all great like they've been making great products for a long time but this specific i got the zoom which i've talked about before the mavic 2 zoom um uh, obviously i think a lot of this can apply to the pro as well but just how insanely well it handles how far it can still be responsive times that it's been in more wind than I I should have put it up in and it can still handle it. It's just, it, it, it is really, really good. I also previously had more issues with image quality on the phantom, even though I think the sensors are pretty similar. I don't think it changed a lot. It's just, it doesn't have this sort of over sharpened look that I used to be fighting against the photos look great. I've been stitching them together a lot more often. Um, at first, I was concerned about that on the Mavic Pro, you're able to rotate the camera vertically. And I, I, I like that. I, I like I, most of my stuff. I Most of the photos I post are in portrait orientation now because of Instagram. But I ended up just shooting a lot more panoramas. And that's fine because then I get extra a resolution out of it. Um, I'll also shoot HDR and it's just all been pretty easy because when it's hovering in the air, it's good at stabilizing itself and it's had no issues stitching together anything I've thrown at it so far. So yeah, I can't say enough good things about the the Mavic 2. It's an awesome, awesome drone. It's really sweet. Yeah, I've, I've had a little bit of time with it. Just uh, again, going out with someone who's got a permit and it's lovely. Also the extra battery life too. Yeah, excellent. Have you shot at all with the Pro, the Mavic 2 Pro? That's the one I have. No, I didn't shoot with it. Honestly, the reason I got the Zoom instead of the Pro is I couldn't find the Pro when I was shopping. <laughs> it just wasn't available anywhere. And, and we yeah. were traveling, and I was like, I just I just want this now. And there are advantages to both. Looking at the video quality, I don't see a difference, which 
you should. Right. I, I right. mean, it should jump. It should just jump out at you. That larger sensor should be have way more dynamic range. It should be a bit sharper. But in a lot of cases, it was actually softer, mm-hmm. um, which isn't a big deal. Like I don't. Th- it's not significantly worse. And I think the Pro is probably a better choice for strictly photography, the extra resolution. I think that dynamic range shows up yeah. more in RAW files. But it looks like the 10 bit um, log shooting just it doesn't give you the dynamic range that it promises or that it should. Um, yeah, not sure why. No, I totally agree. But but even still, it's like this is the drone to get. If you're looking at a drone, choose the Mavic 2. And, you know, you're probably going to love it. Yeah. And I, yeah. I do with the pro, I would rather have the, um, the choices of aperture as well. That is, that's totally worth it as well. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I think yeah, basically you're safe it. either way. Like they're both pretty great. So, all right. And, uh, here, this is the last real tech best of that we've got here. Best phone camera. Um, this could also just be read as best, your favorite phone of the year. But, um, Matt, I think you're going to have some of the stronger opinions here. What do you think? Oh, yeah. So my my pick is probably a little obvious if you follow me at all, and that is the iPhone XS. I, I just like this camera. I, I think this camera actually takes a lot of weird-looking photos that don't actually look that good. Yeah, I can uh, second that. I can, too. <laughs> it has so much more usable information. I've, I felt the iPhone has always had a lot of information in those JPEG-compressed files that you can actually bring back or use. But especially with this version, there's just so much that you can fix or adjust to make look the way that you want that I don't think works quite as well on other phones, particularly the Pixel 3, because that's, of course, the one that everyone kind of goes to, jumps to, which still takes amazing photos. It's still great. But I, I just think the iPhone edges out a little bit just because of that, if that is something you're looking for. If you want to edit your photos, I think this is the way to go. Yeah, I'll just right away say that I agree. And the seems it seems like the internet jumped to some kind of consensus that like, well, no, clearly the Pixel 3 is the best. Um, you know, it's a bit of sacrifice if you choose the iPhone. And I just absolutely <laughs> think it's incorrect. Yeah. I, I think that they are more or less equivalent, that they both have all the dynamic range that you want. It, it's just, do you want it to bake in a more contrasty, more saturated look. And that's what the Google does. And so if you never edit your photos, sure, you you might prefer that. Yep. But I always edit my photos. It's not even... Yeah, exactly. I'm not even going to think about that. So I do like that there is a bit more flexibility in the iPhone. Well, and here's the thing. Like, I have the Pixel 3 as well, and I love it. I take pictures with it. I'm on a family trip for the holidays right now. And of course, picture taking is a big thing. But I take a lot of photos and all the family members want them right now. They want you to send them right now. Like can't wait. And so I'm just shooting on the pixel because it already looks pretty decent. I don't really have to do too much to it and they love the photos. Mm -hmm. So like it doesn't bother me that I'm sending unedited photos, but when I'm doing work and I'm posting to my Instagram or something like that, then that's when I prefer the iPhone. So, I mean, they're both cameras. They're both great. It's just choose, choose the one that you like, I guess. But for me, it's the iPhone 10 S. Jordan, do you have an opinion here? I haven't had a chance to play with either of those. I don't get them, so um, <laughs> to review. Uh, but I was at the uh, Seattle Labs pretty recently taking a look at all the images. Seattle Labs being DP Review Labs. DP Reviews, yeah, their labs, uh, their headquarters there. And they were clicking through some image quality comparisons. And I have to say, um, I'm floored by just comparing sensor size uh, what that Pixel 3 is capable of. You know, we clocked it as better than Micro Four Thirds getting pretty close to APS-C, which is nuts. Um, 
and now I haven't been able to benchmark with the iPhone quite as much. They were still running tests early on that. And mostly what I was looking at was the night sight feature, which is just mind-bogglingly yeah, yeah. good. We can't not give that credit. Like, that is something that is way beyond the iPhone. If that's important to you, then for sure. it, is, for sure. it is better for that reason. Yeah, like if you're doing low-light candids, if it's a bar camera, then this is the best bar <laughs> camera ever yeah. made. <laughs> Uh, but I definitely want to, you know, form a better opinion when I get some more quality time with it. And I said this in my review too. The other thing I like more about it is the wide-angle selfie camera. That is what should be available on all selfie cameras. It's really nice being able to zoom out, or it almost should even be the default. Like usually, that's what you want in a selfie. Is you want to see everything. Yep. Most normal people, when they see a wider selfie, their perception is, oh, it's better. Like wider is only perceived as better when it comes to that camera, I, I think. So yeah. uh, I really I like switch to wide when I go to it. Yeah. yeah. Cam, what about you? Well, okay. I guess I should preface this uh, being how I generally see the files because I don't own either of the phones and I haven't upgraded my phone in, in a long time. Uh, so I haven't, I have no comments on how it, what it feels like to use it or to edit the files. Um, but I do get to see the results of quite a lot of images shot by both of these devices. And there's just no comparison for me that the, the Pixel 3, uh, I don't know if it's just the way that people use it, the way that people export it or what, but the results are hands down superior. Hmm. All right. I mean, your your opinion is valued here. The two people who haven't used it definitely <laughs> prefer the <Pixel. laughs> yeah. All right, well, that ends the technical stuff. Uh, I think the last categories here, we're going to do a little lightning roundish. Uh, but so next up, we're going to talk movies. This was actually hard for me. I was like, oh, yeah, so many good movies this year. And then I thought about them like, that was last year. So <laughs> <laughs> that's every year for me. Yeah, I didn't have a lot of really significant favorites. There actually wasn't a lot for me to choose from when I was looking at the best of lists. So I went with Mission Impossible Fallout, which isn't like, it's, I mean, it's not the best movie in the world. <laughs> it's basically the same story as every other Mission Impossible. They don't change a lot. You know what Tom Cruise is going to give you in his acting performance, which is consistent, but not, you know, it's Tom Cruise, but the action was amazing like especially watching behind the scenes like that's what makes this movie more wonderful is when you watch it on the b cameras and you see like oh this is basically just what happened like yeah. the special mm -hmm. effects didn't even yeah. matter it's similar to the um to the last mad max movie you could just edit together the original footage and it would look about as good um, so yeah. I, I agree. I agree that that footage is better than the movie. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> faint praise, but uh, no, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's not, you could kind of watch it on mute and it'd be just as good, but that's still pretty good. It also amazes me how almost every single movie continues to actually be good. Yeah, totally. I mean, or getting <laughs> it's, it's slightly better too. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, but Cameron, hot shot. What's your <laughs> best movie? I mean, I, I will say that that those movies have always been very entertaining. I'll give it that. Um, I don't. I don't know that I would. I mean, you said that not the best movie, and I would agree with that too. The best movie for me this year was Into the Spider Verse. Oh um, well, I didn't I, see it. Maybe I would have chosen. Everybody's saying, yeah, that. that's that's my choice too. Spoiler. Alert. Yeah, I mean <laughs> that. I, I hadn't. I didn't really have much of an impression before I went. Like I, I had just caught some. People saying on Twitter, 
oh my God, this movie is so good. Go see it. And it was like the day it came out. And I just so happened to have the opportunity to just go out by myself and see the movie, which is rare for me because um, kids and stuff. And so I just, you know, immediately grabbed my coat and left the house and went and saw this movie. Well, kids hate Spider-Man, so it's for the best that you didn't bring them. <laughs> I know. What an awful dad. <laughs> and, you know, like I honestly, I sat there and I was just amazed all the way through it um, for so many different reasons. And, you know, I don't want to spoil anything, but it was all right, really, no spoilers. really I'm going to see it. And I mean, uh, I'm going to see it soon. Um, and I would say that just because of uh, my my personal, uh, I guess, fandom, uh, the Bohemian Rhapsody would be a close second. Yeah, that got me mm. listening Although to Queen so a lot. so flawed. Yeah, there, yeah, I had so many complaints, but Sam Raimi was great. And wait, no, wait, what's his name? Rami Malek, I, I believe. Sam Raimi yeah, director yeah, of Spider-Man. Yeah. No, he was amazing. And there was so much to love about the movie, but like it was so much Hollywood and, and the timelines were flawed oh, and yeah. I could complain. I loved it when I walked out of the theater. Ending yes. on Live Aid was genius. And then was. I spent the next week and a half like slowly hating that movie the <laughs> yes. more I thought about it. And then I, I did the same thing, but then I came back to like just really being glad that it, that it was made. I it, guess. it just made me remember how awesome Queen is. That's what I spent the next week doing is like, wow, Queen. Yes. And then I'm like watching YouTube exactly. videos. And- <laughs> exactly that. And, and remembering and like glorifying Freddie because he needs to be glorified. Yeah, you know, he's he one it. of the most talented artists and absolutely the, one of the most talented performers uh, in ever. <laughs> and that should be glorified. So Jordan, your pick is Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've come back around. Uh, no, my pick is, uh, I'm going to go a little more art housey, but I just watched Roma and absolutely adored it. I think it's, uh, I think Alfonso Cuaron is one of our best directors right now. Um, before this, he did, uh, the big one for me would be Children of Men. I think I kind of hoped that would define how we made action movies from that point forward. And it actually shares a lot with what uh, Tyler said about Mission Impossible. Like if you can have that unblinking, long take kind of you are there feeling in a movie, it it really does elevate action as opposed to what we're seeing so much. And this is, Roma is just a small story. It's a, you know, a uh, maid working at a higher, like a... Um, upper middle class family in the 70s, but there's a couple scenes in it that feel like the biggest action scenes you've seen this year. And it's just because they're handled so incredibly well. The cinematography is spectacular. It's black and white without trying to look old. They don't have any grain. It was shot on the Alexa 65, which I think is the most beautiful image out there right now. Uh, I do think they do kind of a little overly composed. Um, there's a lot of electronic, very consistent panning through the shots, which works amazing for some stuff, but it might be a little clinical for some. But I just found it, technically it's amazing, but I wasn't expecting it to be as moving as it is. So, uh, it, And it's on Netflix, so just go watch it right now. Like, Skip the podcast, everybody go <laughs> Why watch it. Why are you listening to this? To me. Yeah, yeah. Matt, what do you got? Same, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and... I feel like we say this a lot for a bunch of different kind of movies, like, but it is a comic book come to a movie. Yeah. For the first time, you actually feel like you're watching a comic book and it's done so well. It is probably some of the best animation I've ever seen. Such a unique style that honestly, I mean, it was breathtaking. It, it, it is excellent. No, it manages to, to take all those comic book elements and put them in there without the cheesy pow feeling. Yep. It integrates it in such a natural and welcome way that you walk away going, oh my God, they did it. 
Yep, this is the first time where they actually did it. And on top of that, it actually has a good story. It's entertaining all the way through. You never really feel bored through the movie. It doesn't feel too long. To me, this is an A-plus movie, and I hope we get more like this. That gives me a great segue, because best video game of the year, for me, is going to be Spider-Man for the PS4. And you and I tried talking about this, but you have a Xbox, so you couldn't play it. I assume that's still (laughs) the case, right? Yes, we're we're like always on the opposite side yeah. of everything. Yeah, but that's that's good. It gives us uh, rep- representation. But Spider Man to me was the it was just the perfect single player game. Like when you wander around, obviously the web slinging is so fun. Like that is the hook for this game, and then it has a half decent story too. Like pretty good, solid comic book story. Good voice acting, decent characters. A little predictable, but um, it's it just really checked all the boxes for what single player should be. And that's the kind of game I play now. I don't play multiplayer games, really. Uh, it's not too long, which is actually important to me. And part of the reason that I couldn't I couldn't choose Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, I've played the first hour of it, but it's going to take me a while before I know how much I really love it. <laughs> so that probably could have been another choice. But because Spider-Man just hooked me in so thoroughly, um, I love it. I actually stopped playing God of War because Spider-Man sucked me in more. So I, I got to circle back around and get to God of War eventually. Is this a good time for another segue? <laughs> so mine is Red Dead Redemption 2. Okay, yep. <laughs> and you're right. It is a saga. And these types of games are best played uh, taking your time and digging out every little Easter egg you can possibly find. And I, what I really love about these kinds of games, and I, you know, like I'm just going to throw this out there. I don't get to play them very often. Um, I wait for times like this when I have a couple weeks off to where I can completely ignore my life and children and uh, <laughs> fully immerse into this alternate universe. Um, and it's great. And, you know, like, uh, but the, what I really love is is how it evolves is in the play. You learn to do different things as you go. So, like, where you start, it, it's almost unrecognizable from where it leads to. I haven't played a video game this year, so go ahead, Matt. Oh, all work, no play. (laughs) (laughs) Well, exciting stuff here. I also chose Red Dead Redemption 2, and it's for those same reasons. It's such an immersive and vast game. There's so much that you can do in this game. I actually put down Spider-Man for this game. I think I have like two more levels in Spider-Man to do to actually finish it, but I put it down still and just started playing this. I absolutely love it. I love the first one, and I was hoping the second would live up to it and it far exceeds it for me. Like I spent a good half an hour fishing the other day and that is just not something you can do in most games. And the fact that it has that much depth and the fact that I was fishing in a video game and when I caught something and I had to reel it in for five minutes and it broke off the line, I was actually angry that it broke off the line. Like the amount of depth and emotion that you can actually get out of a game these days, especially one so well-made like this. I mean, for sure, this is far and away my favorite game probably ever. Oh, yeah, I haven't enjoyed fishing since Ocarina of Time, so oh it's a lot. And <laughs> I was thinking that I thought I wouldn't play Red Dead 2 at first because I'm like, I, everybody says it's super long and I don't have time. I'm not going to finish a long game. But then I remembered that I really enjoyed Red Dead 1 and I never finished that, so... It's okay. I'm just going to yeah. spend some time. Who cares if you finish it? I mean, yeah. you could you could just get sucked into, just the same as the fishing, you could get sucked into a 30-minute poker game. Yeah, I'm only in chapter four. I, I got a, yeah. uh, I don't know who has choices here. I know, Cameron, you said you don't have one, but I'm going to go on to best book 
of the year. Does anybody still read? Yep. Good. Jordan. <laughs> Instead of, the, the, it was either video game or a book this year. So, <laughs> so you completed one of the two. Okay. Good choice. Exactly. Uh, no, I I loved um, the book Like Brothers from the Duplass brothers, Mark and Jay. All right. um, they made a bunch of indie films, um, a TV show I really loved called Togetherness. But it's really just a story of them figuring out how to muscle their way into Hollywood, you know, not by getting picked up with a big contract or something, but just making dozens of movies very aggressively and very passionately. And it's it's hilarious, it's very sweet, and uh, it's just a really easy read. I whipped right through it very quickly. Uh, if you have any interest in not specifically filmmaking, but just breaking into entertainment, it's it's really compelling. Actually, that sounds like something I totally could pick up. I like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the audiobook because that's the only way I end up reading anything. By the way, that's my definition of reading. I don't physically read anything. <laughs> audiobook, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I have to also just say that I do read a lot and I do enjoy reading a lot. I just haven't read for myself in a long time. Oh, I, I have almost completed the entire series of uh, series of unfortunate events with my son. Those are great. That's not your pick. It's not good enough. They are great. And, and I would pick that. And I guess that is my pick. I guess when you asked me, I was just thinking like, wow, I haven't bought a book for myself in, in a very long time. All right. We'll say that was for you. Matt, what do you got? Unfortunately, podcasts have really taken over my audiobooks, but I do have a, I do actually have a pick. And this is a book I've had for a long time. It's been out for a while. It's it's not a thrilling read. It's more of a like factual read. It's called The 4-Hour Body from Tim Fer- Tim Ferris. And what I like about this is it actually helped me. It's I don't think it's really meant to be a self-help book, but it worked for me and I, it actually helped me lose 50 pounds, wow. which nice, yeah. for me is a huge deal and it's life-changing, honestly. And I kind of put the book away after I did that and didn't really look at it very much and kind of stagnated, which, you know, happens. But recently I picked it up again, started going through it. And it's not just about weight loss or anything like that. That's just one section. It's like 600 pages. You don't really read it cover to cover. It's more like, I want this section. I'll go here. But there's a lot of useful information there. And yeah, so that, that's just my pick. Congratulations. Yeah, listen to that one too this year, actually. No, oh, it's totally you. great. And I, that's how I found it too. It's like, there's little tidbits to pick out of it and i forgot a lot of it but then there's these little moments that stand out and it's kind of worth it for those yeah for sure okay mine is going to be lost connections uh, by johan hari uh, i read pretty recently and it's well it, I mean, it's actually about depression kind of which um isn't like a, it's not a significant part of my life but, or, or really it's a general concern that the world is sinking into a slightly more depressed state. And I do think that a lot of that is due to the things that, you know, we talk about on the show. I mean, I do think there's a contribution of social media and the internet and how we substitute reality with digital versions of it. Um, And I think it's just a really healthy conversation about that of like, what are like, what's the utility of spending so much time online and kind of having a broader outreach and broader connections with people that you wouldn't have an opportunity to meet otherwise, but then that there are downsides in that and there can be some isolation in your real life because of it. So um, I thought it was a really thoughtful conversation about that. And um, sounds interesting. Maybe it doesn't qualify as entertainment as much, but I don't know. It's just useful food for thought. That sounds relevant. And then last category here is best podcast. I'm going to go first on this one. Uh, Omnibus, which uh, is from John Roderick, and the guy that won all the rounds of Jeopardy. 
Ken Jennings. Uh, you know, Ken Jennings would be able to pull out a fact like that because he knows all the trivia. Yeah. There you go. So yeah, I mean, just two guys that are great at talking about trivia facts in a very interesting way. They're thoughtful and funny and um, yeah, Omnibus. It's great. Who's next? I'll go next. Um, my new favorite is Broken Record. Um, oh yeah, Broken Record's great. Yeah, by Malcolm Gladwell and uh, and Rick Rubin and oh my gosh, what's the other guy from the New York Times? But it's a it's a really great podcast, and if you like music, at least so far, it's it's really new. They haven't had a chance to really screw it up, but so far they've. It's I just love it. Bruce Headlam. Yes. Bruce Headland. And it's my favorite subject, which is they talk about music. Yeah, I can I can second that. It is such a well-done show, and I want mm-hmm. much, much more of it. And uh, I just want to throw this in there, because if you are into music like that, if you're deeply into music and you like to hear the stories and uh, how people connect with it and so, and so forth, there's another one called Essential Tremors, which is, um, it's actually put out by some guys in Baltimore who are, uh, I guess, radio personalities in Baltimore. And uh, it's, wow, it's just really, really cool. It's a little more punk rock. And it's definitely, um, like, if you, when you go look it up, you know, you'll see that it's a little more DIY. But the the audio quality is actually really good. And the guests are amazing. So yeah, definitely check that one out as well. Cool. All right, who's next? Uh, I was going to go with the flop house, which you <laughs> actually introduced me to on, uh, I think it was cameras or whatever, actually. I'm sure it was my it was my pick for something. Yeah, uh, but that was too far back. So based on that, I heard a promo for a podcast I've fallen in love with called Oh No, Ross and Carrie, which is a couple people who will join cults, religions. They just did a long series where they joined a flat earthers group and they just report back on the absurdity of it. Uh, and it's, it's fantastic. It's very interesting. And, uh, yeah, it's just something I've always kind of had a, a mild obsession with our weird religions and culty things like that. And you get a dose of it like every week. It's wonderful. Nice. Yeah. I heard the promos as well, but then to subscribe, I should check it out now. Yeah, take a look at uh, if start with the Borman episodes. I think are a great starting point for anybody looking to check it out. Matt, you say you listen to a lot of podcasts. What's your favorite? Oh, favorite is a hard one to say. But <laughs> What's the best? <laughs> best is even harder. But but the one I'm going to choose is the talk show, John Gruber's talk show. Good call. And I just love long form, and his are very long. I love just turning it on, listening. Yeah, he has great insight into the technology space, um, especially the Apple space, and. Every time I see one, a new one there, I just kind of get excited. I'm like, oh, there's a new John Gruber talk show podcast. Yeah, it's not easy to sit through three hours of a podcast, but somehow he uh, makes it work most he weeks. makes it possible. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, I've been listening to the talk show for a long time. And uh, the, my list of must listen to every week's is not that many shows, but it's always been on there. It's almost, yeah. I kind of find it helpful sometimes. Oh, wait, I should also say more interesting fact about that show is it's probably the main source of inspiration of the format of this show that there's guests on every week, but you're talking about a topic and not interviewing the person. Yeah. So it, it right. definitely I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. influenced what this is because I, I think I said this before, I think the issue with interview shows can be that you don't necessarily have any idea who the guest is or you may end up not caring about them. So it's easier to like skip episodes. Whereas if the theme is about a specific topic uh, I, I think you're more likely to keep coming back, even if you're not familiar with the guests 
on that particular well, the risk the risks are greater right and also you have to spend a lot more time researching the person oh yeah yeah totally. in, in order to pay them the respect that they deserve for coming on the show totally. and so. here i can like i don't care have to pay any attention to you guys i don't even <laughs> i don't even know who i'm talking to right now but um yeah. you've never asked me anything about myself once i respect <laughs> that <laughs> well, Jordan, maybe next time we'll get to that. But for now, thank you so much, guys, for all coming on the show. You're all going to have to take turns saying where people should find you on the internet. Matt, you go first. Uh, let's see. Matt D. Gonzalez on pretty much everything. And that, that should be good. Yeah. <laughs> that works. Uh, Jordan, what about you? Uh, you can find me on youtube.com slash DP review. And on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at that Jordan Drake. That just leaves Cameron. <laughs> yeah, you can find me at stocksy.com slash camrocker or twitter.com. Or, yeah, camrocker as well on Twitter um, or camalog on Instagram. And you can find me on this show next week with another guest. And uh, if you liked Yay. it, why don't you uh, drop some reviews on iTunes? I always appreciate that. Thanks again, guys. And uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, you too.